So join us for the battle for public education in the 21st century on Flashpoints every Wednesday through June at 5 p.m. Don't miss it. Thank you. And you are listening to 94.1 FM KPFA in Berkeley and 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley. 88.1 KFCF in Fresno and online at kpfa.org. The time is now 3 p.m. Stay tuned for a stone's throw with Jennifer Stone. Happy ending, nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money. Every Friday, happy endings are the rule. So divide up those in darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light them up, boys, there's your picture. The shadows out of sight. This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. Did you hear that last program, Oliver Sacks, with his earworm? Oh, oh, both my ears are just ringing. Uh, he's right, of course. We do get these songs stuck in our heads. I think of Blanche Dubois, yes. Uh, actually, the last time I had an earworm, it was the Tennessee Waltz. No, no, just a gigolo, that was the one. Anyway, I wish you'd find a better, a better phrase or word than earworm. Uh, anyway, it's his book about music. Uh, okay, today, it's June the 9th. And the beat goes on pretty bloody. I got a dozen things that I want to rave about. Rant, yes, my radio rant I have here. <laughs> World pain and a dozen movies, yes. Mix them all up. Ah, uh, uh, We've got to get all this sorted, as the British say. Yes, get these things sorted. Uh, first of all, Boys and girls, I wonder what you, you saw when you looked at the latest picture, the video of the cop kneeling on the back of the child, 14-year-old African-American girl wearing a bikini. They say she's wearing a bikini. Well, <laughs> the thing is, the picture is on a videotape. It is immortal. Film is forever, as Reagan used to say. Now, uh, when I see something like that, I try to image, imagine, this sort of absurdity or atrocity in past ages. Oh, say, 1915, 1815, 1715, movie called Ragtime, that's about 1915. Uh, remember that movie, 1981, about a black man who is insulted? Uh, <laughs> and then he tries to blow up the J.P. Morgan Library. Uh, that's a fabulous movie. 
absolute nonsense. E.L. Doctorow wrote that. Anyway, I'm trying to say uh, the old cliché, human behavior is not much different from time to time, from century to century. Uh, of course, uh, the laws change. Some of the rules certainly are different today, but human nature, not so much. Uh, anyway, I think, what is it? I think that this stuff is supposed to be educational. Uh, you know, that it's supposed to help the children understand what's going on. But I don't see, uh, I don't see how it, it can help unless, uh, you know, unless they sit down and talk it over. I remember talking to students back in the late 60s. We used to have a class. Uh, was that? My ninth grade class. We'd sit around and talk about what to do when a cop, you know, was unpleasant to you. And, uh, of course, they, they came up with every possible scenario. And I just used to say, you know, keep your mouth shut, call a lawyer. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, uh, I, I think it's kind of like water dripping on a stone, social change. And of course, uh, I kind of think lately it's three steps forward and four steps back. Uh, Deja vu all over again. I sound like all the other folks, the old folks. You just can't tell them anything. They never learn, these kids. <clears throat> Not long ago, I was absolutely fascinated with an object lesson. Henry Louis Gates, Jr., remember? He uh, had an altercation with a policeman. The policeman took Henry Louis uh, Gates for a burglar when... Henry broke into his own home. Now, Henry Louis Gates is a high-profile scholar. Uh, he's a familiar face on television. Those of us who, uh, you know, watch PBS, I know he doesn't want to be called a celebrity, but if you've seen the historical education programs on African-American heritage and so forth, you know that um, he, <laughs> he has much gravitas, uh, Anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, his shows are great material for school children, by the way. Uh, the thing is that being a professor and used to deference from those people he meets, uh, he was very angry when this cop arrested him. A neighbor apparently had called the police. <laughs> the presumption being that an African-American in an affluent neighborhood, you know, uh, this must be a criminal. Both men got riled up, and they both stood on their dignity, and there was much disrespect all around, uh, a blow to their manhood, perhaps. Anyway, you remember that President Barack Obama himself had to get them together, you know, uh, it's like two little kids in the schoolyard. Now, shake hands and make up, boys. And I don't remember if they actually did have a beer, but that, that was the, the program. Uh, anyway, I, I thought, well, now, the mass media will just love this object lesson and we'll hear about it indefinitely. Uh, you know, we'll, 
uh, have a Broadway show about these two guys and uh, what happened when their grandiosity got punctured, you know. Uh, they're both of them really awfully silly about it. Uh, of course, then I forget being a uh, Irish-American, a Euro-American, a Euro-white girl. Anyway, the legacy of centuries, centuries of chattel slavery. Uh, the thing is, you see, in the one, the one voice, we see all this mass of uh, human beings going way back. Uh, I guess that the humor of the situation is not really, not really uh, appropriate. Uh, I think that ignoring what, ignoring the pain hasn't helped. And uh, at the same time, oh, gee, I think of Spike Lee and some of his movies where he has all these different ethnic groups hollering at each other. And he kind of, kind of makes the point, but... Uh, it doesn't seem to register. There's no uh, aha experience going on. Uh, anyway, what I want to talk about seriously today, I'll talk about uh, what Virginia Woolf has to say about the subject of the hour, the subject of the week, the zeitgeist, whatever you want to call it. Uh, it's all about the LGBT question talk about all over the news. It's about transgendered persons uh, and why why these groups are all lumped together. I have no idea except that they are all uh, targets of the right wing, know-nothing politicians and reactionaries. That's, that's easy to see. Uh, now, there's a charming novel called Orlando, which deals with... <laughs> transgendering man to woman, yes. Uh, Virginia Woolf writes all about this man who transitions into a woman. The change takes many centuries because Orlando uh, is a poet and, of course, couldn't be a poet uh, unless you were a male back in Elizabethan England. Uh, Queen Elizabeth leaves Orlando, well, Queen Elizabeth I, of course, and so he has all he needs to be a creative person and live the great adventure. But by the time history allows him to emerge as a woman, uh, she, of course, at that time was an ambassador to the Turks uh, on the eve of their revolution. Uh, she finds out that things aren't so very, very different uh, <laughs> I want to read you a page from Orlando when she wakes up from centuries of sleep to find himself and herself at last. She's kind of in a trance. Uh, many people saw the movie Orlando. Most of them were confused. Um, four centuries is a long time to talk about gender. Uh, oh, golly. Uh, from Queen Elizabeth I until 1928, this history of women and men. Uh, the movie's charming, you know. You see Orlando wandering around, watching Othello. She's so terrific play. Anyway, 
And she she just skips through history. Apparently, the uh, character is based on uh, Vita Sackville West, a woman that Virginia Woolf apparently uh, loved very much. Uh, now, uh, yes, this new woman hasn't really had time to see herself uh, on the cover of Vanity Fair, that is, Virginia Woolf's new woman. She's just become a creative writer. Uh, now, <laughs> the cover of Vanity Fair, I think, is probably an earth-shaking event. Uh, transsexuality, transgendered. Uh, Virginia Woolf's thoughts are still very much with us. I think that you know how it is. Uh, she said that women could or would write someday about their love for one another. Uh, the novel of the future, she, she suggests, would begin with the line, Chloe liked Olivia. There's a whole anthology on my shelf uh, titled Chloe and Olivia, the history of lesbian love, a great long lesbian love letter. Uh, <laughs> it's very confusing. Just think about it. Uh, I hear all these... I suppose, witty jokes now uh, in all the sitcoms about whether or not someone who is transgender, let's say a uh, man who has become a woman, uh, whether uh, <laughs> whether the new person is a lesbian, uh, it goes round and round and makes for a lot of jokes. There's one, one such tale in a show called Penny Dreadful. And we see a fellow named Dorian Gray back in the period uh, Oscar Wilde's times, late Victorian England. And uh, this gentleman dresses as a woman and works, uh, <laughs> works in a house of ill repute. Uh, he is companion at this point to Dorian Gray, and they're obviously lovers, so whether or not... Uh, Dorian loves him as a woman or as a man is still up in the air. I assume pretty soon we will find out that's what makes for all the fun. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I want to get to, uh, I want to get to, uh, dear old Virginia Woolf here in Orlando. Uh, at this point in this biography of Orlando, Orlando has fallen into a trance. Uh, that happens quite a bit in this this story. And uh, 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 there's so many details here. Um, there are some figures, I believe, muses. Three women, three sisters come to talk to Orlando. Uh, modesty, purity, and chastity. And uh, they wail a lot, and then they start... To shudder because someone else is hollering the truth and nothing but the truth. Uh, okay, they exit and Orlando uh, is now alone in the room. The trumpeters, ranging themselves side by side in order, blow this terrific blast, the truth, at which Orlando woke. The truth and nothing but the truth, he rose. He stood upright in complete nakedness. 
before us all while the trumpets pealed, truth, 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 we have no choice left but confess. He was a woman. Sound of trumpets dies away. Orlando stood stark naked. No human being since the world began has ever looked more ravishing. His form combined in one, the strength of a man and a woman's grace. As he stood there, the silver trumpets prolonged their note as if reluctant to leave the lovely sight which their blast had called forth. Ah. And chastity, purity, and modesty, inspired no doubt by curiosity, peeped in at the door and threw a garment like a towel at the naked form, which, unfortunately, fell short by several inches. Orlando looked himself up and down in a long looking-glass, without showing any signs of discomposure, and went, presumably, to his bath. <laughs> I have a footnote here. Tilda Swinton played Orlando in the movie. Uh, yes, uh, the scene when she looks at herself in the mirror was uh, quite memorable, if I... If I uh, that's the image, yes. It's coming up into my mind's eye now. Uh, gee, I love that movie. <laughs> I, I listen to it, oh, once or twice a year now. Uh, it just has so many wonderful jokes about poets, you know, about what scoundrels poets are. Uh, <laughs> most of them are named Green for some reason. Uh, anyway, uh, she, Virginia Woolf, goes on to say, we may take advantage of this pause in our narrative to make certain statements. Orlando had become a woman. There's no denying it, but in every other respect, Orlando remained precisely as he had been. The change of sex, though it altered the future, <laughs> did nothing, whatever, to alter identity. Uh, <laughs> his memory... But in future, for convention's sake, we must say her for his and she for he. Her memory then went back through all the events of her past life without encountering any obstacle. Some slight haziness there may have been, as if a few dark drops had fallen into the clear pool of memory. Certain things had become a little dimmed, but that was all. The change seemed to have been accomplished painlessly and completely in such a way that Orlando herself showed no surprise at it. Many people taking this into account and holding that such a change of sex is against nature have been at great pains to prove, one, that Orlando had always been a woman, that Orlando is at this moment a man that biologists and psychologists determine it is enough for us to state the simple fact. Orlando was a man till the age of 30 when he became a woman and has remained so ever since. And she goes on to say that other pens treat of sex and sexuality, uh, we quit such odious subjects as soon as we can, footnote here. The psychosexual history of Virginia Woolf is a subject that requires not half an hour. 
but, you know, half a lifetime. Um, anyway, she uh, has plenty of motivation for everything she writes, but I'm afraid about physical sexuality orgasm. Virginia Woolf was not uh, knowledgeable. I'll put it just that way. Her sister Vanessa said so. Vanessa, uh, like Virginia Woolf, suffered from child abuse for many years. Vanessa said that she always sympathized with uh, the sexual needs of men since she was two years old, she said. But uh, Virginia somehow, Virginia somehow did not. And thus we have one of the great writers of the 20th century. Anyway, Orlando, she goes on to say, Orlando had now washed and dressed herself in those Turkish coats and trousers which can be worn indifferently by either sex. She was now forced to consider her position. It was precarious and embarrassing in the extreme. Uh, this is the first thought of every reader who has followed her story with sympathy. Young, noble, beautiful, she had woken to find herself in a position than which we can conceive none more delicate for a young lady of rank. We should not have blamed her had she rung the bell, screamed, or fainted. But Orlando showed no such signs of perturbation. All her actions were deliberate in the extreme. They might indeed have been thought to show tokens of premeditation. Exactly right. <laughs> she thought about this. She went into a trance, and then she did it. Yes, she created a new self. Uh, now, in today's world, most people would say that Orlando was born a woman. Uh, it was just a question of her coming out, and then, of course... Uh, doing all things necessary, surgically say, to become uh, technically a woman. Uh, anyway, Orlando comes to and goes off with the gypsies and has a wonderful time. <laughs> Just a terrific time. The book goes on and on and on. I, I used to think that this book would enlighten uh, young people. I don't think it's out of date, but it does seem a little confusing. Uh, Mm -hmm. Just as Virginia Woolf was extremely confused. Uh, what I like about Virginia Woolf is her, well, her essays, maybe, her explanation for, uh, oh, all of the emotional turmoil that the genders experience, you know, because women are not men and men are not women, she says, that the secret is for men to become womanly and women to become manly. Seems simple enough, but you, you know, you know how that goes. Uh, anyway, anyway, uh, Orlando as a woman. Sad, sad, sad. Uh, she writes then, if the subject of one's biography will neither love nor kill, but will only think and imagine. We must conclude that he or she is no better than a corpse, 
and so leave her. Well, now, that is Virginia. She uh, does nothing but think and feel. Very womanly. Anyway, uh, (laughs) I want to jump into uh, just a page, just a little page uh, of... uh, Virginia Woolf's thoughts. Uh, uh She, what is the word? She understood the love letters, the, let's call them lesbian love letters that were coming in the future when Chloe likes Olivia. Uh, She tries, you know, to get her mind around what it will be like uh, when this is an ordinary thing, uh, here's what she writes. Uh, she says <laughs> that it will all, I, I think she sees it as things kind of mellowing out. Uh, she says, all this pitting of sex against sex, of quality against quality, all this Claiming of superiority and imputing of inferiority. These belong to the stage of human existence where there are sides and it is necessary for one side to beat another side. It is of the utmost importance, however, to walk up to a platform uh, (laughs) to receive from the hands of the headmaster himself. Some highly ornamental pot. Now, the thing is, as people mature, they cease to believe in sides or in headmasters or in uh, ornamental pots. <sighs> she writes, praise and blame alike mean nothing. Delightful as the pastime of measuring may be, it is the most futile of all occupations to submit to the decrees of the measurers is the most servile of attitudes. So long as you write what you wish to write, that is all that matters. Whether it matters for ages or only for hours, nobody can say. But to sacrifice a hair of the head of your vision, a shade of its color, in deference to some headmaster with a silver pot in his hand. (laughs) Oh, dear, oh. Uh, is the most abject treachery, the sacrifice of wealth and chastity, which used to be said to be the greatest of human disasters, is a mere flea-bite in comparison. Anyway, in a room of one's own, Virginia Woolf does everything she can to convince women that they must uh, be themselves. The word empower does not occur to her, but... uh, they should speak for themselves and that they should have minds of their own. They must banish purity, chastity, and modesty and trade them for love, wisdom, and compassion. Yes, I think she's got that down now. She says we must think of things in themselves. Okay, and now she says, I'm reminded by dipping into newspapers and novels and biographies that when a woman speaks to women, she should have something very unpleasant up her sleeve because women are hard on women. Uh, Oh, I'm not sick to death of the word, I can assure you that I am. Uh, And then she goes on to talk about 
all the disagreeable things <laughs> that women women endure. And she finishes here by saying, We face the fact, for it is a fact, that there is no arm to cling to, but that we go alone and that our relation is to the world of reality, not only to this world of men and women. And she goes on, of course, to tell the wonderful story of Shakespeare's sister <laughs> and how she managed to cope with life in the 16th century. This has been Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. Be back on the air next week at the same time. Till then, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. Drop the invited to join the KPFA team for our first annual Summer Arts Fair. We are seeking friendly and reliable volunteers to help at the doors and assist exhibitors and visitors at the fair. On Friday, June 19th, we need help setting up from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. On Saturday, June 20th, we need help from 7 a.m. to 6.45 p.m. And on Sunday, June 21st, from 9.45 a.m. to 9 p.m. This event takes place at the Craneway Pavilion at 1414 Harbor Way in Richmond. And it's an opportunity for you to attend as KPFA's guest. And thanks for working a three-hour shift at the fair. If you'd like to sign up for a shift, call Felix at 510-848-6767, extension 629, or email volunteer at kpfa.org. We appreciate your help and hope to see you there. <laughs>